0: In 2023, this day, that we would be able to be good stewards of your word this morning, God. So, would you speak? Would you and would Christ be magnified this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. One of my Uh, hopes and my enthusiasm this morning is to take Paul's long sentences and to take his talking of body parts and make it very, very much alive uh, to you today. I spent a couple hours, you're going to be like, why did you spend that much time, Brad? But I spent a couple of hours trying to summarize the passage in one sentence. Uh, Some expositors say you don't really know a text unless you can describe it in one sentence. So my main idea this morning is kind of a, it's a bigger sentence, all right? But here's what it is. When working properly, when properly working together, excuse me, the body of Christ should mature in unity and knowledge, resulting in love. This is what Paul's talking about. When we are properly working together as the body of Christ, we should mature in unity and knowledge, and it should result in love. Paul starts out in verse 11 by saying, and He gave you'll see here, and he gave. Who's he? It's Jesus Christ. And it's important that we remember that throughout Scripture, Paul is always trying to communicate that God initiates and we participate. God is initiating these gifts in us, and we are called to use them and participate. We're not self-ordaining these gifts. God has graciously given them to us. Paul talks about this with salvation too, right? In chapter 2 of Ephesians, verses 8 through 10, by grace you have been saved through faith not by works so that no one can boast. God initiates salvation. God initiates these gifts and wants to use us to work them out. Paul describes these four roles of church leaders, apostles and prophets, evangelists, and then shepherds and teachers. I don't have time to unpack all of these, but I did want to unpack that last one. And it's actually, it's because of the Greek language there, shepherds and teachers, it's one office, it's one role. Think of it as a shepherd teacher. That's what Paul is saying here, and this idea of a shepherd teacher, it comes from a Greek word, shepherd, or sorry, it's a Latin word, actually. It's a Latin word for shepherd, and it's pastor. That's where we get the word pastor. This is what first, uh, Peter brings out in 1 Peter 5, too. He says, "'Be compassionate shepherds who tenderly care for God's flock and who feed them well, for you have the responsibility to guide, protect, and oversee.'" So, here we have this word shepherd, which is where, where we get the word pastor, and I think a good definition that Paul's trying to bring out, this is from me, but I just here's how I try to define it, one who provides biblical instruction and is responsible for a church. There's a shepherding component and there's a teaching component to this. Paul is going to give us uh, an immediate and ultimate goal, like what, what's the point of a pastor? Which side note? It's kind of funny. Sometimes after a service, someone will come up to me and say, so what do you do for a living? You know, I'm like, uh, this, what you just witnessed, right? And what's the point of that? Why, why do we have pastors? Paul says the immediate goal is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Equipping of the saints. Some of you maybe have a translation that says perfecting, And it comes from this Greek word, which actually means to like set broken bones into place or to mend nets. So, there's this expectation that something needs fixed, right? Something needs worked out. And so, that's what we're called to do as church leaders, to produce strong, mended saints. And I love that word, saints, It's anyone that associates themselves with Jesus Christ, and it actually comes, actually means holy ones. Can we just, for a second, just sit there? If you associate yourself with Jesus, you are considered holy. Amen? Amen. That is a truth that should give you immense confidence and security today. So this immediate goal, he talks about equipping, talks about saints, and now he uses the word ministry. This is really talking about service. There's a theme of servanthood, And I think of all the different duties of of the church inside this building and inside the church, but also the the work we're called to do and serve others outside of the church. A lot of it's not highlighted on stage. A lot of it's not glamorous, but it's important, right? And Jesus demonstrates uh, this idea of servanthood. And so we're called to be humble and have uh, service. So the vision Paul's trying to bring out for these leaders is that it's not their job to do a bulk of the ministry, that's what Paul is saying. So think, think of me as like a coach and you all as like the players. And I, I probably should rephrase that as like a player coach. I, I should be a coach who also is involved, right? I mean, I need to be doing the things I'm, I'm telling you to do too. But that's not my primary responsibility. My primary responsibility is to get you to do it. And I think really believing that is an important thing in us actually taking on that posture. And, and what, what is the work? What is the game we're playing? I'm just trying to keep with that analogy of sports here. It, it's telling and showing the story of Jesus. So at Fox Valley Church, my job is to help fix and mend you all to be able to go and tell people about Jesus and show the love and character of Jesus to one another and other people. That's what Paul is saying. And then the ultimate goal is for building up the body of Christ, to be expanded and strengthened for ministry, uh, to build up to completion. This is to have a healthy, vibrant church. That is uh, the end goal, the body of Christ being strong. And I'm going to talk about this more toward the end of my message, so I want to keep pressing on. Paul gives us three marks of maturity. He says to mature manhood, There's three marks to maturity, and the first one is this, is unity. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Not structural unity, but spiritual unity. It actually brings in what Paul says earlier in the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse 10, that, that God is in the fullness of God. He's bringing all things. He's uniting all things together. And I have to say, as I was reflecting on that this week, there was some conviction there of like, have I seen my job as a pastor, a primary role to help you be united with one another? It's a powerful thought. Sure, the knowledge, that makes sense, helping you grow in, in information or even in the way that you love your spouse so there's this and that, but promoting unity, that, that is a new kind of emphasis that it's brought to me. And we talk a lot about unity last week because it came out in this maintain the unity and the bond of the spirit of peace. And now in in verse 13, what Paul is saying is continue on in ministry until you attain unity of the faith. And I think this is so hard, but Paul is saying if you're going to be a healthy church, if you're going to actually have growth that matters, you have to be united. And we can all probably right now, if we just pause, think of a relationship where you're like, I don't know if I'm united with that person. Maybe it's someone in your family, maybe it's someone in your church family or you're serving with or in your small group. In 1 Corinthians 1 verse 10, Paul is essentially begging the church at Corinth to not be divisive. After the first few verses, just kind of fluffing up a little bit, telling them he likes them and he cares about them, he's thankful for them, and then he says, do not be divisive. He's uh, getting this word of division. It means to tear. So Paul's saying you're tearing each other apart, but you need to have the same mind and the same purpose, which we talked about last week, having one hope. And as I was reflecting on this, I was reminded of a book I read about human behavior probably a year and a half ago, and it talked about the way we interact with one another. And it was not a Christian book, but but I do have a a takeaway, and, and that is when we are in a difficult situation, we attribute it to our external factors. And when someone else that we know is in a difficult place, we attribute it to their internal factors. So let let me tell you what I mean. Let's say I pull up to a red light in my van, my uh, Kia Sedona, right? I pull up and there's a red light and I just lose it on my kids. I turn around in anger and I yell at them. I am going to associate that anger coming out because I didn't sleep well last night because one of my kids was sick and I, um, maybe the kids are throwing food at me in the back of the van, right? And there's this frustration or work stressful and that caused me to get angry. But if you're in the car next to me and you witness me yell at my kids, you're, you're thinking two things. That guy has an anger problem and he's a mean dad, you know? You're associating it to my internal Uh, Factors. And this is a really, really dangerous thing. And I think a a simpler way to put it is do you assume the best in people? Right? When someone parents in a different way than you do, do you think, well, their kids aren't potty trained because of the way that she is a mom and, and, and teaches them? Or do you consider maybe there's external factors contributing to why someone's not potty trained? I mean, I could go on and I got young kids, so that's one of the first things potty that comes to my mind, right? But but we could go on and on about the different ways that this gets unpacked. I, I really, I, I want to tell you, and I'm telling myself this too, stop. Stop assuming the worst. Paul says if there's anything worthy of praise, anything pure, think about these things. We need to stop uh, divisively thinking and assuming that when someone acts a certain way, it's inherently about what's inside of them in their own heart. Maybe there's other things going on. In fact, I will tell you, there probably are other things that are going on. And if you are struggling as you think of of this person that you don't have unity with, I want to give you a homework assignment, and it's Psalm 133. Psalm 133. Read it. It's rich in content, and it's like three verses. So super uh, short homework assignment, but I want you to meditate on it. it. It talks about these people that are totally different and how beautiful it is when they dwell together in unity. That's the first mark of maturity. The second mark is knowing Christ. Paul says, and of the knowledge of the Son of God. When church leaders are fulfilling their roles, equipping the saints, Christian maturity increases in knowledge of Christ. Some people think doctrine is divisive, but it's not. Doctrine's important. People are divisive as they argue about it. Knowing more about God should actually make us grow in unity, not division, right? Imagine that. And as leaders, as, as we try to grow your knowledge of Jesus, we do this in, in different ways at Fox Valley through worship services, whether it's in a call to worship or scripture in a song or the theology of a song, whether it's the, the scriptures as we read them this morning. I'm bringing you scripture. My wife asked me yesterday, how do you feel about your sermon? And I said, I'm I'm preaching scripture, so I feel pretty good about it. I'm just going to talk about God's word, right? There's a level of, of that you can trust that we are going to bring that to you to help you have knowledge of the Son of God. We have Equip You classes, Journeyland is teaching about Jesus, all these various ministries, but God's word has power. Colossians 1.28 says, Him we proclaim, Jesus, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. One day you and myself, and every other person who's ever lived on this earth is going to stand before Jesus. And I'll just speak for myself. I don't think God is going to be as much concerned with how awesome our worship band sounded, or how many uh, even people were coming in to our church, per se. But he's going to want to know, how many people, Brad, did you present mature in Christ? How many people, how many disciples did you make? That's what we're going to be asked when we meet our maker one day, which leads to this uh, third mark of maturity that Paul brings out as growing in Christ-likeness. He says it to the mature manhood, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God's people are brought to maturity according to the measure of Jesus. What this means is Jesus is the standard, we don't like to compare ourselves to Jesus, why? Because we all fall short. That's scripture. What we like to do is compare ourselves to our neighbor who's not a very good person. <laughs> Which again, we're thinking of all the internal factors and not considering the external factors. But Jesus is the measurement. He's the one that we are, we are comparing to. And of course we can't be Jesus, but he's telling us to strive. In fact, in, in verse one of chapter four, Paul brings out worthy, this, this idea of worthy a calling. And what that that text is bringing out is this idea of old balancing scales. And it's like, hey, Jesus has done this. Therefore, level out the playing field a little bit. Not to earn your salvation. Don't be confused. But level out the playing field because what God's done for you, you should want to love and do these different things. That's what that word is talking about because of what God has done, and at Fox Valley, we try to give, uh, we ask a few questions to try to help you do that, to live in a manner worthy, and, and these questions have been very helpful for me, and here they are. The first one is this. Uh, do you want to trust Christ? Just because people come to our church does not mean they've ever given Jesus lordship of their life, and, and I don't want to assume uh, that people have done that. If you're here this morning I want you to know how much God loves you, that he sent his son for you because of his love for you to die for your sins and that if you believe in him, you'll have everlasting life. That's the promise that God gives us, that when you die one day, you are gonna be perfected and you're gonna be with Jesus and everything will be perfect. If you've never given Jesus lordship of your life, I just wanna encourage you to do that. Father, I wanna pray for for those people this morning God, would they uh, submit to your authority? Would they realize, I'm not good enough. I can't do this on my own. I submit to you, the king who stepped off the throne, lived a perfect life, and died for my sin, but conquered death, and it's in him that I have a hope. Amen. If you pray that you join in to the body, the spiritual body of Christ, uh, and maybe just one other question I want to throw out there. I have this written down. And I was about to skip it, but I don't want to we like to think of a, of a decision that we made when we were a kid. That's fine. I accepted Christ when I was seven. I remember the moment I was sitting in a Southern Baptist church in a pew, and I walked down front and confessed my sin. But who are you currently trusting in for the forgiveness of your sins? Who are you today trusting in for the forgiveness of your sins? The second question we ask is, do you want to grow? Are you, are you actively growing in your maturity of God? And you ask people that, and guess what they say? Yes. Can you imagine actually responding no to that question? Hey, do you want to grow? No, no, no. I mean, everyone's going to say yes. But there should be this extra tagline. Hey, do you want to grow, which is going to result in some pain and suffering and discomfort? right? Because that's what we know growth in Christ does. Taking up our cross is work. Do you want to grow? Or as, Peter, or as Peter says it in, in 1 Peter 2, do you crave pure spiritual milk to grow up in your salvation? Here's a pondering question. Am I actively pursuing maturity in Christ? Am I actively pursuing maturity in Christ? And the, an action step would be take the one one, one toward full surrender seriously. This is just uh, one way that we try to help you grow. It's really not one, it's three ways, right? It's almost like we represented the Trinity in kind of a cool way here by talking about this, but it's, it's the one, 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 just three things that you can do to grow as a Christian, to mature. And the first one is just come to a service, be a part of God's teaching and a part of, of communion and these different things that take place, the one another's. Right? Another one is being a life group. You can't do life alone. That's not what God created you for. So be in a a group. The other one is to serve. Find a place to use your spiritual gifts at Fox Valley Church. And we say, we've said this many times, and, and I believe it's true, and that is the best life on this side of eternity is to surrender your time, your treasure, your talents, your hopes and dreams to the plans and purposes of God. I believe that that's true. Some of you see other people's Instagram accounts and you think, man, they have a good life, right? Why is my life more challenging? Read Psalm 73. That might help. That was free, that was just an extra tidbit. Psalm 73. But I believe in in my core, the best life on this side of eternity is one of surrender. Palms up. That's the last question we ask. Do you want to be fully surrendered? Not perfect. But are you willing to step into whatever God's calling you in your life? I believe that's the best life. Paul uh, brings us now into some responsibility that we have as a church in this next section. And the first one he says is uh, responsibility to prevent doctrinal instability. <clears throat> Doctrine is so important, right? Our theology, our scriptures, our belief about God, one faith. Doctrine is, is very important. Important, And Paul is saying, don't be like children tossed to and fro by waves and carried by every wind of doctrine. What does Paul mean? He's saying immaturity in Christian doctrine makes the church like gullible children who are tossed helplessly by and deceived by false teachers. And this phrase, tossed to and fro, it actually is the same phrase that's used in Luke chapter 8 when the disciples are worried about their life because there's a storm on the Sea of Galilee and Jesus is sleeping and they're freaking out. They're they're, they're being tossed to and fro. Just to give you a, a little picture, if you've ever been out at sea and maybe there's a storm or you've just watched movies, people just end up in some random location. If you follow every wind of doctrine and human reasoning that comes Who the heck knows where you're going to end up one day? That's what Paul is saying. And and here's something specific I want you to hear. Don't confuse growth with movement. Movement, coming, uh, moving on different opinions and ideas about things, sometimes is a good thing and sometimes it's a really bad thing. As culture presents a lot of movement be careful that you're not seeing that as growth if it's not really growth. That's a dangerous thing. The strategies of instability come, Paul says, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes. Right, these strategies are strong. Some translations say the trickery of men. It's this idea of, it comes from this idea of faulty dice, that someone is using faulty dice to make sure they always roll the right and correct number that they want so the other person can't win. That's where this idea is coming in. The Apostle John gives us an idea of how we can recognize what's of God and what's not of God. He says this in 1 John 4, 1 through 3, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have come out into the world. This is how you recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now has, is already in the world. We could talk a lot about that passage. But what I want you to do is when you hear a teaching, whether it's in a conversation or a pastor or you're looking online, whatever it is, is it aligning with Scripture and promoting the truth about who Jesus Christ is? There are a lot of false teachings out uh, there, and, and I just wanted to bring a few. This is not an exhaustive list, but, but this is uh, part of, of what we see. The first one is this. God's will be that I am blessed with material possessions. <clears throat> right? False. That is not true. We call that the prosperity gospel. Uh, what's true is godliness with contentment is great gain. What's true is to not store up treasures on earth which will perish, but to store up treasures in heaven. Jesus didn't come to give you health and wealth now. He came to save you from your sins so you can have eternal life with Him. Another uh, false teaching is, if I have enough faith, I can avoid most suffering. Nope, not true, right? In order to follow Jesus, I need to take up my cross. It's commendable, it's commendable before God to suffer for doing good. A third false teaching, I need to be rescued from unhappiness and failure in life. This is a common one. I think it's subtle, so it's not as easy to identify, but I do think a lot of people are searching for self-help. How do I find the most fulfillment in my life? I need rescue from my unhappiness, whether it's through medication, whether it's through uh, relationships and people, whether it's through things I can build on this earth or accomplish In the workplace, the truth is, you and I need to be rescued from our sin and God's wrath that's being poured out to all unrighteousness. A fourth false teaching, I can be whoever I want to be. Nope. The truth is, my life is not my own. I was bought at a price, and I need to glorify God in my body. These are not popular, worldly beliefs. How do we as a church stand firm in the truths of Scripture and the gospel of Jesus Christ, not swaying to and fro like the Sea of Galilee being tossed and turned, but sticking to what the Bible says? And I just want to touch on a part of this, And first, let me just say, as the church, sometimes we've focused on certain sins and talked about them more as if they're like the really bad sins and we don't call out the other ones that maybe in the church we struggle with a little bit more. So I really want to caution against favoring or uh, picking sins that that are worst in God's eyes or something like that, however you uh, reason it. But but here is one that's been talked about a lot, but, but it's very evident right now. In schools, in legislation, and that is that we get to determine who and what we are, as if God did not deem male, female, and that it is good in his eyes. We can reason what sounds loving and what sounds good, or we can believe that God's word is perfect and righteous, even when it doesn't always feel perfect. And that is something that we are going to have to continue to navigate as a church. But we have to make sure we love people. And that's, that's the second responsibility we have as a church is to speak the truth in love. Those five words we could do a sermon series on. Paul says, rather, speaking the truth in love. It's the same word we used last week for love, agape. It, remember, it's a love that gives without expecting to receive anything. So I have, I have a word of caution. Uh, maybe some of you who were just saying yes in, in your own spirit, right? No one said it out loud, but in your own spirit, maybe you're like yes to those false teachings. And there are some of you that literally and figuratively will pound your fists in the name of truth as if like God has solely appointed you to be the keeper of all truth. And I just want to caution that in the name of truth, You're not not promoting division in the family of God because you lack love and humility and gentleness. Some of you, it doesn't come out like an angry face. Now, some of you, it comes out with an arrogance. There's a pride that you have the corner market on all truth. And I just want to say, ask yourself, am I actually standing up for God? Is this about God's truth or is this more about me or me and this person? In Ephesians 5, 1 and 2, Paul says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for the church, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. We are to display godly conviction, not to be tossed to and fro, but to do so with love. This contributes to a healthy body. The third responsibility that Paul brings out is shared maturity by growth and love. Touching on what, what we've already briefly mentioned is we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head. That's verse, verse 15. Him to, who is the head, that's Christ. Christ leads, Christ directs. Uh, Christ guides the body. Our maturity is in Christ. We never, ever grow independent, independent of Jesus. He's the one that builds healthy churches. We like to put faith in men. Think about the Israelites. They wanted a king. Think about us, many of us, we want a celebrity pastor or a a, a strong figure that's going to be the person that we trust in, or maybe we don't set out to trust in that person, but somewhere along the way we do. Jesus said He is going to build His church, and the gates of hell will not prevail. Jesus is going to build His church, and He goes on to say in verse 16, Paul says, "...from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped," when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It results in love. We're to grow dependent on Jesus, but also with the church, the body of Christ. I talked about this last week. I ended my message saying we need to run to Jesus, but we also need to run to one another. This is, again, where Paul's ultimate goal for church leaders, for pastors, is coming out, to build up the body of Christ. Mutual love and mutual growth, that's part of God's plan. If you know someone, whether they are in your life group or they serve or they go to Fox Valley Church or somewhere else, and they tell you they are stepping away from church family to improve themselves, that is unbiblical, I've seen this, and honestly, I'm thinking of a few scenarios, and every time that person can get tossed to and fro, because they don't have the body of Christ helping, keeping them together, protecting them. I, I want this next sentence to hit home. I, I want it to convict. Not shame. I want it to convict. You will not effectively grow spiritually apart from the body of Christ. You will not grow spiritually apart from the body of Christ. Each individual part must work together according to its purpose and design for it to function properly. When one part is weak, right, the whole person is weak. That's why we need to see value, value in what everyone brings. I'm I'm convicted by this. Sometimes it's easy just to rely on a few people to do the work of the ministry. All of us are the body of Christ. We need to do this together. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, He says, for the body uh, does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not the hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less part of the body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. All you have to do is think about your own body, and when you've gotten injured, probably all of us have gotten injured in some way. Right? I sprained my thumb one time and I was like, I can't tie my shoes, right? You don't realize how much you use your thumb for until you lose it or something happens. God designed all of us to be part of the body. And here's something else I want to really just have settle in your heart. And don't hear this as anything but me wanting God, giving God some space to speak into your heart this morning. And here's what it is your contribution or lack thereof, has a direct result in the health of this body and therefore the effectiveness of our ministry out in the community. Your contribution to Fox Valley Church, or lack thereof, has a direct effect on the health of our church family and therefore our effectiveness in the world. One of the things that I've been realizing is people don't know their spiritual gifts. And I don't think we've done a good job helping you know your spiritual gifts. So one of the things you can do is you can take uh, an assessment. An assessment is not everything, it's just something, it's man-made. But if you scan that QR code or you can go to our app, you can take a test and it'll bring out your top three spiritual gifts. And you can begin the process of saying, how has God uniquely created me in this body Only God can answer that. I can't answer that for you. And some of you are in unique seasons where you're not serving. Some of you are serving by proxy because your spouse is serving. And I'm not even just talking about a formal Sunday serving. I'm saying between you and God, you have to ask this question, am I contributing to the health of our Fox Valley Church body? Am I contributing to the health of our body? You can take that test, tell someone about your gift. Tell a pastor, tell a volunteer, tell just a friend, here's my gift how do you think I could use this at church in a way that's going to honor God to build others up in love? The early church had a beautiful uh, display and demonstration of God bringing unity and, and oneness, and as they're growing together and maturing, it's resulting in love. In Acts chapter 2, 44 through 47, it says, all the believers were together and had Everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily of those who were being saves, saved. When I look out on how this, a church was living out this healthy, vibrant life, I, I see a few things demonstrated. The first is shared unity. Everything in common. Everything in common. It's our text last week. One spirit, one baptism, one faith, one father. It says, I put a giving heart. They demonstrated a giving heart, gave to anyone who had need. A worship and prayer in the temple court fellowship broke bread and ate together. And you know what happened when they did this? People were getting saved left and right. The Lord was adding to their number daily. They were modeling healthy church church growth, and we should strive for this Fox Valley. But I think what's important and what I'm convicted about, and I want you to know, is we all play a significant role. You are part of the body. You can't say to another person, I don't belong. You can't think of yourself as less significant, because that's not how God made the body. We all play a role and we're all submitting under the lordship of Christ. And I do have to say, although I've been convicted about it, that maybe we haven't done the best job of helping train, at the same time, I see so many healthy aspects of Fox Valley Church. I believe we are a healthy body. I see it. I see it in unity. I see it on our staff team and our elder board, the way that they love people one another and also help lead our church. Now, I see this in life groups, people coming around, people who are having a hard time and bearing with them in love, people who are considering others above their own interests. I see this uh, with our life shepherds as they gather together a few times a year and just pray for our body and try to be equipped to better lead their life group. God has blessed Fox Valley Church. Do you believe that? Do you believe God has blessed our church family? I do, and why? I believe that God has blessed Fox Valley because we honor the name of Jesus Christ. In a world that is tossing ideas and notions to and fro, we have honored the centrality of the gospel, and the gospel message will not fail and will not bend to people who try to do it, any leaders, anybody. It won't. It will not fail. And I just think about Jesus Christ. I I, want to end with this. Jesus Christ, why do we talk about it? Why do we make much of Him? He stepped down from a throne of glory, and He came down to a cradle in the dirt. He did not despise the cross. He took on our suffering on the cross when we didn't deserve it so we could have eternal life with him. He conquered death. He is our true king. He is who we worship and who we praise. And now, Fox Valley, we get, I've said this a couple times this morning already, the privilege. We are the church Of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, and we get to extend this message to other people and love one another. We have the privilege with the Spirit of God inside of us, lighting the flame of ministry to be working in what God is doing and what he's called us to do. That is a privilege. Um, Father, I want to thank you for the privilege that we have as the church of Christ. I thank you for Fox Valley, for the leaders who have gone before, the people, the body who has stepped in to make the church what it is today. It's not perfect, God, but we honor the name of Jesus. Would you help us love one another well by doing these things, growing up in maturity and knowledge in the Son of God and the character of God? And would we do it all because you've initiated the work in Jesus Christ, our true King. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Family, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand now. We're going to close worshiping our King. Let's enjoy our Savior as we praise Him this morning.